0: Thank you guys so much. Let's turn to Genesis 17, and we're going to get into our sermon. Well, I guess Beck ruined your Steeler pizza. Today's the day that fasting starts. No, I'm kidding. But uh, so don't leave here without grabbing one of this. If you're new to the church, there's there's an arm of the youth group called Narrow Way. Everybody say it. Narrow Way. So we have a narrowway conference every summer. It's ten days. Uh kids come here from around the United States, California. We've had some counselors from Idaho, uh uh we've kids from Florida, West Virginia, um, uh down in DC, and they come and they live here. They live at Cornerstone and they come here, this is their home base during the day. And that, that arm is called uh narrowway. And they have a one day conference. Isn't this cute? And they call it Winter Way. How cute is that, right? <laughs> but here's the point. Uh, it's, it's really pretty cool. Um, here's the point. I mean, I don't know about you. What were you doing in high school? I wasn't doing that. Right? And we complain sometimes. And w- what are these kids? Well, Pray about it and bring kids to the Winter Way Conference. And, um, you know, it's just been one of the most impactful ministries that have taken place here. And uh, it's doing things in kids' lives, young people's lives that, uh, you know, you just almost can't believe you can because you're a Christian, but you get what I'm saying, right? So that's narrow way. And I want you to, and Beck wants you to, take one of these prayer cards and put it on your refrigerator and pray with your family, would you please, for this? Right here, back there. Uh, Here's a couple other things before we begin. I don't know if you're new here. uh, Here, i got to do something here. Will you give those to the lady right behind you in the pink? Uh, If you're new here, we have a little resource table downstairs with books. Uh, All kinds of good books, Bibles, all kinds of stuff. We just got uh, several new ones in. I thought I'd just tell you about them. This one's called, you, you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? I don't know if you know this, but Spurgeon battled depression his whole life. <gasps> I said it. And here's his sermons on Spurgeon's sorrows. And it's a collection of his sermons about how spiritually he was directed to come out of his depression and melancholy. And so uh, that's down there. That's new. Uh, we are friends with the... the. Um, Uh, the people at Calvary Chapel Philadelphia's bookstore, and they're huge, you know. It's a huge church. And I asked him about a month ago, and I think Xander asked him too, what one book in your bookstore do you have to have people read? And he said, oh, no doubt, Friendship with God, right there. Friendship with God, it's down there. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, check that one out. And then I don't know if people here have heard of Rosario Butterfield, she's got an amazing story. She came out of the gay and lesbian lifestyle, and uh, she's now married in, uh, to a pastor in North Carolina, and she wrote a book about that journey, but now she's written another book called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, and that book is down there, and there's many more, and uh, you can pick those up. We just sell them for cost, uh, and uh, you're welcome to those, okay? You just put the money in the agape box, and that's it. Hey, also, too, if you're downstairs, I just got to say it, you know, if you're downstairs, it's the same thing as being upstairs. Uh, so uh, if you're down there, uh, you know, really what downstairs is for is for people who can't get upstairs or for kid, people with children. So if you're a able, healthy adult, And we want you to be in the sanctuary because, uh, well, anyway, we do. So if you're able to do that, great. If you are sitting down there, just treat it as if you're in the sanctuary. It's not a time to play, you know, Spotify at, uh, you know, decibel 78 or something and uh, to, you know, talk the whole time and doodle. Uh, It's to uh, hear the Word of God. And uh, the Word of God is what changes, folks, by the Spirit of God. And it takes a systematic, in my opinion, diligent work through all of the Bible, not just some of it. I think that people grow when they learn the whole counsel of God. And so uh, we want to do that. Here's one last thing before we jump into Genesis 17. Our friend Brielle back there is going to go on a missions trip starting today. (laughs) She's going to leave today. And so after the sermon, we're going to gather up here and we're going to pray for Brielle. And so we'd like you to come up and uh, uh, do that with us, okay? Uh, At, uh, I don't know, 1.30 or 1.45. So that's a joke. That's a joke. Turn to Genesis 17, would you? Turn to Genesis 17. Now let me ask you something. Who here has told a secret this year? Raise your hand if you've told a secret this year. Come on, seriously? Just a few. I can't believe it. I cannot believe only a few of you who told a secret. Well, I've told a secret and you've told You guys are acting like something's wrong with telling a secret. I don't think there's something wrong with telling a secret. And the reason I don't is uh, for a couple, well, a couple reasons. But do you know this in the book of James? Do you know this book of James? The person we're studying right now in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Abram, soon to be Abraham. He was called a friend of God. Did you know that? In fact, I want to take you there real quick and show you James 2.23. Something, uh, before you get there, don't look. I want you to think in your head, why was Abraham, or Abram, Abraham to Abraham, why was he called a friend of God? Wait a minute, some of you might be thinking this, well, he had such great faith. Really, did he? Hmm. I don't know about that. Uh, you know, when a little famine hit, you know, he fled the promises of God and went back to the worldly place of Egypt. Uh, and you know, he had uh, tons of ups and downs here, and we've been seeing them. Did he have faith? Of course. Was God building his faith? Yes. Did he make uh, mistakes and sin? Oh, you bet. But he was called a friend of God, and I looked it up again this morning, and I just was so blessed. And here's why, if I can get there. Uh, In James, in the book of James. Everybody there? We're going to go over to James 2, 23. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, why was Abraham a friend of God? This floors me. He was such a great man of faith. He was such a wonderful man guy. He, you know, gave lots of money to the poor. He da da, da, da da. Nope. Abraham believed God. He just believed it. What is it to do the works of God? They asked Jesus, just believe we make this so difficult sometimes. And I get it because you get out into the world and you get distracted and I get distracted and sometimes our fear gets the best of us. But here it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. It was accounted unto him for righteousness. He didn't have to manufacture his own righteousness. Aren't you saying praise the Lord? Because if you had to and I had to manufacture our own righteousness, Bible says if you failed in one point, just one little point, you failed it all. It's like having a hundred plank rowboat and 99 of the planks are intact right out in the middle of the old Pacific Ocean. And you're feeling good and cruising and all of a sudden one plank breaks, sunk. That's what you are, you're sunk. And so am I. Well, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Watch this, and he was called the friend of God. Now you say, well, come on, that's Abraham. He was a mighty, mighty guy. I'm just this person sitting here in uh, the little sanctuary and I've done nothing and da 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 And then you remember Psalm 25. And you go, uh-oh, this is amazing. Psalm 25, uh, verse 14 says this. You might want to uh, memorize this. The secret, see, the Lord told secrets, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, period. The Lord wants to deliver to you intimate things. Who did you tell a secret to this year? You told a secret to people you could trust, who you love, who you're close to. Somebody you talk with a lot, you depend upon, they depend upon you and you know you can do it. And here in Psalm 25, it says that the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And we know from Proverbs that the beginning of knowledge and wisdom is with those who fear the Lord. What does fear the Lord mean? Well, you were doing it here uh, this morning. You were praising him. You were honoring him. You were adoring him. That's fearing. That's respecting. That's being in awe Uh, And you do it whether you sing or not. You do it in your work when you praise the Lord. You do it in your home life when you're doing it as unto him. That's fearing the Lord and receiving his counsel. And uh, so I'm blown away by this. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And one of the people of the Bible who feared the Lord was Abram. But little rabbit trail, all of you are people, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and count on him for the finished work, at, uh, uh, at the cross and his resurrection, all of you, uh, uh, for your spiritual condition, all of you are people with, which, with whom which the Lord shares, shares his secret. In fact, and sometimes in the New Testament, it's called the mystery, a mystery. What is it? It's that Jesus came out of the heavens, you know, and we, what, what Liv- Olivia was talking about and grew up and lived a righteous life. And see, you, you know it, and sometimes it can almost become blasé to people who know it. And to think that God became a man is so startling, staggering, wonderful, beautiful, touching, hum- humble. It's the mystery of God. Wow. He shares it with you. And now through his word, how do I know through his word? Well, I just read the second stanza of Psalm twenty-five, fourteen, and he will show them his covenant. He, who, those who spend time in his word find out in this sense, not in a weird sense, like all the different secrets and conspiracies, not that. You find out the secrets of the Lord. The Lord speaks to you. In your ear, be still and know that I am God listen, he speaks to you through his word. That's touching. So I want you to see this. This is a picture, uh, a story of Abram, but it's the story of our life, you see. So go back to Genesis 17. And we've been examining uh, the life of Abram and his wife, Sarai. And, uh, Uh, Abram had relations with uh, Sarai's handmaiden or hand servant, who was Hagar. And they had a son named Ishmael. We've gotten that far. And I want you to know something, that Abram was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees when he was 75 years old. 75, folks. 75 now, when you come to the last verse of chapter 16, look what it says. Well, let's go to the last two verses. Hagor bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagor bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagor bore Ishmael to Abraham. Everybody with me? You with me? Okay, here's why I, I, I need you to understand the years. So turn back to chapter 12 one through three. I know I jump around. How do I say this in a tactful way? How do I say this? You just got to get used to it. <laughs> Maybe jot it down. I know I jump around. Uh, but listen, it's going to come full circle here. If you go back to when Abram was called out of the era of the Chaldeans, the Lord said to him, hey, you got to get out of your country now. Get away from your family. He didn't do that, by the way. Remember, he brought Lot and all his crew. And uh, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great or make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. You want to know why you watch CNN, Fox News, and you see this war happening? Well, the genesis of it, isn't that clever, is right here you're going to see it all throughout these chapters. They're here. It's here. This is it. Ishmael and Isaac. Boom, boom, boom. Twelve tribes. Twelve princes of Ishmael. Boom, boom, boom. All that time back then, it's happening still now. So he says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. Now think of what Abram and Sarah must have been thinking at 75 and she was 65 years old. They probably didn't say it like I'd say it. Here's what I would have said. Yeah, right. They were a little bit more cautious than that. But we see in our new chapter here today, there was a lot of laughing going on at these promises. So that's chapter 12. And God has to clarify it for him uh, when, you know, uh, Abram and Sarah uh, keep going. And uh, look in verse 15 with me, verse 4. Just hang on. I'm setting the stage here, and then we'll get going. And behold, verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. Remember, listen, Abram was like, Lord. Lord. You told me we're going to have some descendants here, but nothing's happening. And all I got right now is a servant, and he's going to be my heir. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, wait a minute, you're not getting this time out, Abram. I'm actually going to give you a heir who will come from your own body. And that one shall be your heir. Now, we recognized and studied, well, Sarah and Abram sped that up a little bit. They got impatient with God's promises. You ever been impatient with God's promise? Raise your hand if you've been impatient with God's promise. Yes, we have been impatient with God's promise, and they tried to speed it up, and they did it in their own manipulation and flesh. They didn't, oh, they weren't patient. By the way, I don't really like patience too much. I just, you know what I mean? It just goes against my flesh. I don't want patience. I shouldn't say it that way. I don't have patience. But the Bible tells me that patience is part of my faith journey as I become more like Christ, uh, first chapter of James. Patience. It's part of holy living. We're patiently awaiting the promises like Abraham. You can look that up in Hebrews 6. He obtained the promises through Holiness, being a great guy. No, through patience. Oh, my. So we have something to learn here and grow in. And they try to speed up God's promise on their timetable. Who here likes to, uh, uh, you know, live God's life on their timetable, on your own timetable? I do. Lord, uh, you know, I need a bonus and uh, I need it this year. And, uh, I'm asking you if you do that. You know, it's December 3rd and I, I need a bonus, Lord. So you need to get on this by by the end of the year. You ever prayed like that? Come on. Come on. Be honest. Yeah, we pray like that sometimes. And so they do it, and this boy is born. His name's Ishmael. He is going to be 13 years old. Listen, 13 years old when the child of promise is born, Isaac. So he's born 13 years prior to Isaac, and he is a picture of... Fleshly decisions. Deciding in your own strength. Did Abraham and Sarah or Abram and Sarah or, you know, Abram love his kid, uh, uh, Ishmael? Of course he did. He loved him. God loves him, all that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, this is a picture and uh, uh, of what happens when we decide we're going to speed up God's promises is that you get there and things don't always work out exactly as you uh, thought they should. In fact, God said... You're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Ishmael, which means God has heard. But listen, because the Lord has heard your affliction, but he's going to be a wild man. Like a donkey of a man. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Like a donkey of a man, and his hand shall be against every man. How would you like to have a son who is inclined to always just be fighting with people? And every man's hand is going to be against him, and he's going to dwell in the presence of his Brethren, and then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. She, the God who sees, went actually and chased after Hagar, the maidservant. He cares for people, folks. He cares for Palestinian people. He cares for Iraqis, Iranians, Russians, Ukrainians. That's the heart of the Lord. He cares for even people from the United States. Can you believe that? I had a better joke, but we got beat this year, so I can't say it too much. <clears throat> but anyway, so you get it? And uh, so then we get to chapter 17. Remember, Abram was 86 years old. I told you the story now when Hagar bore Ishmael. But now he's 99 years old. 13 more years. And by the way, listen, listen, 13 years of silence to a guy who's called the friend of God. You catching that? What does God want us to do? He wants us to live on the promises he's already given us. Americans don't like that. Lord, you gave me this promise, but you know what? I'd rather have a different promise. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that away, that promise, and I'm going to move over here and I'm going to pray for this promise. And you better do what I ask. That's how we treat him, like he's our butler or something. And here, Abram and Sarah are, and it's 13 years and they hear nothing. And the Lord, every day, what was the Lord doing? I want you to count on my promise. I want you to count on my promise. You know, pray. pray, pray. I want you to count on my promise. What a lesson for us. Which means, folks, you and I have to know the promises in order to count on the promises. You understand that? And the promises are right there in the word of God. Lots of them. So we have to be people of the word so that we know God's promises. Why is that important? Because the just, folks, the just shall live by faith. It's said four times in the Bible, once in Habakkuk, or how's the other way to say it? Habakkuk, depends on where you're from. Habakkuk, once in Romans, once in Galatians, once in Hebrews, that the just shall live by faith. Second Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. We're people of faith, folks, trust, dependence. And it might be that the Lord's going to call you to stand on a promise for a long time. You understand what I'm saying? Of course, we always stand on his promises. But there might be one that he's specifically relating to you in your circumstances, and he's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. Year one, trust me. Year two, year 13, trust me. And it's coming to pass, no doubt. It's going to come to pass if he promises it, right? By the way, here's one promise. The Lord's coming again. <laughs> wow, that's I'm excited, And we are excited. And it's such a, gl- a purifying doctrine. You don't have to be scared of the doctrine. It's a purifying doctrine. We're going to be with the Lord. And he's going to come back again. He came down the first time. He came the first time. And it's, he ushered in this covenant of grace and mercy. Folks, he's coming a second time to set all things right, to be the judge. And the, the Bible tells us that we're silly if we're not prepared with, you know, wicks trimmed and oil in our lamps. It's just silliness. Be prepared. And you are prepared if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. You're counting on all that he's done and you're waiting for him to come back. It's a drop dead, certain promise he's coming back. And the Bible even addresses it. in Peter, there's going to be a lot of people. You say, oh, okay, yeah, pastor, you're pastor. You got to say that. Said, There'll be scoffers in the last days. What a sad thing for people not to be ready. Don't we want people to be ready? I want to be ready. I want all of us to be ready. Here, Abraham, the friend, friend of God is 99 years old. That took me 20 minutes to get through the first half of that verse. Anyway, the Lord appeared to Abram and spoke to him. Now, one of the things that I want you to note in this chapter is there's a certain, there's a couple themes. And one of the themes is names and name changes. It's the whole chapter. That's what it is. What do you mean? Well, God doesn't change his name, but He certainly here. He's one of four names... That are, are new in this chapter. What do I mean? Well, he, God's never been called, I am Almighty God. What's that mean? El Shaddai. Who here loves Amy Grant? Well, Amy Grant, if you were a Christian in the 80s, Amy Grant was like the most famous, of course, and uh, um, she uh, sang a song called El Shaddai. I became a Christian. I had no idea what. I just sang along to the song. By the way, it was before you could find the lyrics, and I had no idea really what she was saying. But anyway, it was a good sounding tune, and she sang El Shaddai, and I remember that, and it was a beautiful song, at least I think it was, but... uh that's this. I am almighty God. Look, he's bringing to him a name. He's called himself a different name so far. In fact, uh, let's, let's do this. Let's review. In Genesis 1.1, he's called or written about as Elohim. Moses actually writes that out. He's Elohim. And Elohim It means a lot of things, but the name for God speaks of his creation abilities, or he's the creator. Everybody with me? And of course, that's what he would be named in Genesis 1-1, right? Because he was creating, right? And then we get to uh, Genesis chapter 2, and he's called Yahweh, the Lord God, which means he's a personal God and sort of, not sort of, but has relationship with his people. And maybe even you could say master uh, but anyway, that's Yahweh. And then uh, we saw in Genesis 15, too, he was called uh, Adonai, Adonai, right? And uh, yeah, Adonai. And uh, th- th- excuse me, that one's master. And then we saw what I just mentioned, El Roy, the God who sees. And now we're seeing a different name and God institutes it for himself. <laughs> And so, listen, if you are struggling with the promises of God, or waiting, or you don't understand what God's doing, you you, you see, one of the things that you want to do, I I think, is examine the names of God. God tells you who he is through his names. My family's a little different. I got some weird names in my family, but that's me and Jan's fault. But uh, anyway uh they're beautiful kids uh why did we name somebody beck i have no idea but uh see in the bible they had reasons for names they were to express the nature of the person they were being named because god named himself or had names of himself and they re- uh, uh those names relayed who god is I think one of the great things that you could do for yourself as a Bible study in this year is to study the names of God. Study the names of God. Here's another thing I think would be amazing if you did. You could go and study the attributes of God, God's attributes. In fact, you can go online and type in Charles Spurgeon, attributes of God's and just write them down or let them wash over your soul. Because I'm telling you, when you study the names of God and the uh, attributes of God, God does something for you. And here, the reason I'm telling you that is because in this story, he says, I'm the God Almighty. In other words, I know it's been 13 years, Sarah. I know it's been 13 years, Abram, but maybe he's saying it to you. It's been 10 years or 10 months, or maybe it's been 10 minutes the way we pray. But anyway, it's been all this time. And I want you to know, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. The one who has all power, all knowing, I have all of it, I'm all of that, and I'm powerful. I can do what I promise. I can't just promise, or I don't just promise, God's telling Abram, I promise and can produce. That's what this name means. Another fascinating part about this name that I think you should know is L means strong in its masculine form, L. Okay, you got it? I'm putting my arm up, but I'm not very strong. But anyway, L and Shaddai is an interesting word. Some Hebrew scholars, not all, so you'd be a Berean here. Some Hebrew scholars means, thinks that Shad, S-H-A-D, might mean mountain or breast. I know we're in church, but listen, it's the perfect blend of masculinity and femininity that comes together in God to tell us, listen, that he can do what he promises, strong, but he could also nurture you along the way. Isn't that amazing? The perfect blend of uh, uh, masculinity and femininity. By the way, time out. This is a rabbit trail, I know. But that's why it's so devious when we blur the sexes. Get it? We're striking at the grace of God. God set us up this way to be the perfect blend of strength and leadership and nurturing and care and love all wrapped into him. And he put us in families to raise kids and all that sort of thing. And he said all throughout, don't blur those lines. You can read about it all throughout the Old Testament. It's not something to go out and attack our friends who are struggling with it. It's something to think about and to share and to love them with. You get it? Isn't that powerful? So that's who El Shaddai is. And uh, I want you to know that uh, he's coming to him to reveal himself. uh, And... A.W. Tozer says something that's so famous but so profound. This is powerful that he would say this and reveal himself in this way as they're struggling with the promise. Why? Because A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because what we believe about God is how we behave and act. That's powerful. So let's get a right vision that's been revealed in the scriptures, not what we think, not what we want him to be, but a right vision of who God is. Let's not come to the scriptures and say, you're going to be who I say you're going to be. Let's come to the scriptures and say, reveal yourself to us so we can understand as much as we can, this side of glory, who you are rightly, so that I can think about you and worship you appropriately. Isn't that wonderful? Love that quote from A.W. Tozer. So he does this for Abram. He does it for you too. And he says, I'll make covenant between me and you. I'll make covenant. Now you've been learning about this Abrahamic covenant as we've been uh, moving on and uh, through the scriptures. And he's made a covenant between me and you. But listen, here's what the covenant is. By the way, if you weren't here, This is a one-sided covenant. When they made covenant in the uh, in the Bible, they would actually cut animals in half, put one side over here, one side over here, and they'd walk between it. The two people making covenant, because the implication was, you're going to do what you say you're going to do, you're going to do what, or I'm going to do what you uh, I say I'm going to do, and if not, this is probably what's going to happen to us over here on the sides. But when it came time for them, to, or for Abram and God, to cut covenant, remember Abram had to go to, or he went to sleep, and God passed through it Himself. In other words, I'm trying to tell you this covenant is for and full of listen grace. Anytime you see "I will" from the Lord, or "give," or um, gifts in the Bible, Jesus was the perfect gift. It says, you're seeing the grace of God, God giving you the resources to live and to love. You see that? And to come to him, that's it. And here, I want you to know that the Abrahamic covenant was not bilateral, it was unilateral. Which tells me something, I want you to know it, it's a doctrine, it's a covenant of grace. Oh, I'm excited about that, but anyway... uh, So Abram fell on his face because he said, my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now remember, he's not, it's been 13 years since he's heard from him. And he's like, you still telling me I'm going to have a kid? Praise the Lord. And he falls on his face, worships the Lord, right? And God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you're going to be a father of many nations I mean, come on. What must he have been thinking? (laughs) I believe, Lord, help me with my unbelief, is probably what he was thinking, right? I believe, help me with my unbelief. And so he falls on his face, a father of many nations, no longer are you going to be called Abram. What did Abram mean, exalted father? Does it apply to Abram? Maybe he was respected. Some people believe that Abram's name was reflecting who God was or is. Exalted father. You did you be a Berean, look into the Hebrew and decide that for yourself. But now he's changing his name to Abraham. Notice the letter in there, H, I'll talk about that in a minute. He makes him not the exalted father, he makes him a father of many nations, a whole bunch of nations. Now watch. How many times has somebody said your name? today or will they say your name tomorrow how many times do you think 50 times 60 times three times well get together and tell whoever you love them in their name but anyway every time somebody said to him hey abram how you doing do you understand what was happening he was being reminded of the promise from the exalted father that he was going to be a father of many nations. And not just a father, it was going to come from his body, not from Ishmael, it was going to actually come from his body. You understand? God was reminding him through his name. Every time somebody said it, Abraham, take out the trash, Sarah would say. Okay, I can do that because I'm the father of many nations, or whatever, right? And sell friends on the street, he would be reminded. Amazing. For I have made you a father of many nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. Watch. It wasn't just with Abram. It extended through his descendants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It extended through his descendants after you and their generations for a temporary covenant. Does not say that. It says an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you're a stranger, all the land of your possessions. Now, that's interesting stuff. And I've already hit on the first thing I want you to know about the Abrahamic covenant. It's a doctrine that's full of grace. You might not think of it that way or maybe haven't thought about it before, Uh, but it is. It's a doctrine of grace. But here's the other thing I want you to think about the Abrahamic covenant. Why? Why am I going through all this? So you can explain to your friends when they ask you, why is the TV full of this in the Middle East? Well, here it is. And uh, the reason I say that is is because God told the people of Abram, Isaac, Jacob, all those folks, all of his descendants forever, that your... This covenant lasts forever. Now, you got to think for a minute. You ready? Ready to think with me for a minute? Here's what a lot of people say. In fact, I've been there and listened to some of the people say what I'm about ready to say. Okay? It's this. Well, in 70 A.D., come on, that's all fine and good, that the land was given to Israel. That's all fine and well. But come on, man, 70 A.D., Romans come in, wipe them out. They have no more power or control over their country. In fact, their country's devastated. They are no longer a country and in moves people who are not Israeli Jews who are not Jews. Right? And so I, I get it, but they've been living there since 70 AD. And so they, they came in at a time that there was no sovereign control. And so, You know, you had, and I don't remember what order, but I mean, you had Ottomans and you had Turks and you had, uh, you know, Egyptians and all these different uh, people groups. And then eventually you had the British and all that sort of thing. So come on, you really hold to that? Well, this is an interesting scripture. You find it in Ezekiel 11, verse 17, if you want to write it down. You want to hear it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God. Ready for this? I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered. When were they scattered? Seventy AD. And I'll give you the land of Israel, Ezekiel eleven, seventeen. Oh boy. And so when you examine who were the last people to have independent sovereign control of Israel. Prior to 1948, when Israel came back to be a state, it was Israel. No one else had uh, uh, sovereign control of that area. There were just people that were occupying, you get it? So this is the tension here. And we have to come face to face, and we're happy to do it. We come face to face with the Abrahamic covenant here and the other scriptures in which God talks to, To the Jews about their land. Now listen, does that mean we have no compassion and we're jumping up and down because people are being killed? No. No way. No. We want to help anybody, everybody. But we just know the Bible. (laughs) You know the Bible. We know the Bible. It's that the possession of the land was an everlasting covenant given to Abraham and his descendants. And The place is the land of Canaan, Israel. And the dimensions were given, we went through this in 12, 13, and 15. And under Solomon, it grew some and big, but it didn't grow to full dimensions that are outlined by God. And if it didn't, if the kingdom of Israel didn't, or the nation of Israel didn't grow to the dimensions that God gave him in 12, 13, and 15, here it comes, full circle. Do you think God's going to fulfill his promise or not? Yes, he's going to. They're going to be reestablished in the land, and it's ultimately going to be in the kingdom, of course. So anyway, that's what we're studying. We're seeing that the promises of God apply here to a man and his wife to have a child through their body, because... God made a covenant with him. Why did God make a covenant? You say, remember, he's from the Ur of the Chaldees. The Bible tells us that the, his family worshiped idols. <laughs> it, it's grace. It's not like he's like looking all around the world and he said, you know what? That guy Abram down in Ur, that guy's amazing. We're going to pick, I'm going to pick him. It's not that, it's God's grace. It wasn't something great about Abram. It was something great about God in which he was picked. So here, uh, Abram's picked the covenant is established and watch this. This is, this is sometimes the Bible is really funny and this is one place for me, at least maybe it's not that funny, but Oh, well we'll try. Uh, Well, before we do that, I want you to point out one other thing. Did you know here, nobody touches on this much. It also says that Abram and Sarah were going to not only have uh, many nations, but kings were going to come from them. Oh, wait a minute. What's that all about? Well, it's the story of Christmas, folks. If you're wanting to see Genesis and link it to uh, Christmas, well, here it comes. Because 1,000 years later, God establishes the line of David. Understand that. And then 2 Samuel 7, God makes an eternal covenant with David, who, right? Do you remember that? And uh, a thousand years after that, we turn to Matthew chapter 1. Everybody turn there with me. Matthew chapter 1. We turn to Matthew chapter 1 and we got whoa, wait a second. God promised 2,000 years prior that through the family of Abram and Sarah who had no children, or biological, or you, you know what I mean, promised children. They had Ishmael who they manipulated that, but through the promise of God, they had no children yet. Through Hagar they did, but not through them, Listen to this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Do you see how monumental this story is in Genesis 17? It's monumental because it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who is he? The son of David. The son of Abraham. Whew. And you go, see, here you read the one year Bible and you're like, yeah, good. I got that day done. Yeah. Right on. I'm going to move on to number two day and you might have missed it, and maybe I did too, you get these three little phrases in Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here's what we do. Oh, great. The genealogy. I'm skipping through this. I'm getting right to Christ is born of Mary so I can sing the songs and put up the wings and do all of that, and yet we would be missing out because the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, listen to this, the son of David, God's promises come true every single time. The son of David, the son of Abraham, he really did deliver to Sarah and Abram. Through them came the greatest king. The best king. But through it all, look at that. He had the king of Israel, and that was the son of Abram. Wow. Two, zero, zero, zero. Thousand years. Two thousand years. Amazing. Who would you base your life on? (laughs) Jesus Christ. He delivers. And so you come back and you go, wow, Lord, that's pretty powerful. Uh, amazing. And now you get to the sort of the funny part. And God said to Abram, as for you, well, you're going to keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And David must have been thinking at this point, oh, great. Okay. Come on. Tell me what's it going to be, Lord. This is amazing. Uh, Well, this is the covenant uh, which you're going to keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Uh, in fact, if you look down a little farther, it said, it's going to be a sign. Some, uh, the King James version says it's going to be a token. Can you imagine sitting on the edge of your seat and go, Lord, are you going to give me a crown? How about a badge? You might give me a badge. Maybe you're going to give me some money. Lord says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a sign to you, uh, between you and your descendants. Here's what I want you to do. Um, you're going to be circumcised. And he probably said, well, what is circumcision? And the Lord whispers in his ear, and he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) I didn't hear this. So he says, uh, every male child among you is going to be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. Hey, folks, where did Abram manipulate the promises of God through the reproductive processes, didn't he? Hey, you should just take my handmaiden here, honey. He said, all right, let's go. And we see what happened. And the Lord comes back and he says, you know what? I'm going to make a sign with you and your people. And here's going to be the sign. It's going to be the cutting away of your foreskin. Right at the reproductive place in which you relied upon your own strength and resource and thinking and you forgot to uh, uh, rely upon me and trust me we're going to cut that away you with me and it's going to be a sign so you and your all of your um, uh, um, descendants are going to do this so that you could be in covenant with me that's what the lord is saying here wow Amazing. You say, why are you going through all of this? Why are you going through all of this? Well, here's why. It's that cutting away of the flesh that was important here. And to have a greater sensitivity for the things of the Lord. Are you catching that? Don't, don't fade here. I know you're like, I don't want to talk about this. I, I understand. But, but get what's happening here. Oftentimes, the place in which you struggle with the promises of God, watch, he sort of puts his thumb right there and says, I want you to be reminded in that area. (laughs) And so he says, okay, we're going to make this a sign. I want you to see something, though, too, just as an aside with this. A sign, here's one of the signs. Here's a sign. Who here has one of these? You know what? That thing right there, listen, doesn't make you married. You get that, right? It's a sign that you are married. You're like, oh, okay, what are you talking about? Here's why. Because the Jews started to depend upon this rite and ritual for their um, uh, ability or their uh, way in which they could get closer to God but they missed it because it wasn't some way in which you could like this isn't if I put one of these on it's not I'm not any closer to marriage unless I am married listen and then I put one of these things on to tell the world I'm married amen Why am I going through all this? Because in the New Testament, all these Gentile people started coming to the church and they started saying, you need to be circumcised because you can't be close to God without being circumcised. And they went to this council in Acts chapter 15 and the council said, no, you don't, you don't have to be circumcised. You can be if you want to be, but you don't have to be circumcised because why? Listen, this is important. It's a sign It's not the reality, you understand? And here, watch. What's the reality? Well, turn with me over to Colossians 2. I'm about ready to make a startling statement so that if you're trying to sleep, you're going to wake up. Everybody sitting in this room, if they surrender their life to Christ, needs to be circumcised. How could somebody say something like that? Well, it's because the Bible says it. And it's not the circumcision you're thinking of, maybe, but it's the circumcision of the heart. And in uh, uh, Colossians, if I can get there, Colossians chapter 2, it talks about it. In him, verse 11, you were also circumcised. That's for people who are in the body of Christ, ones who surrender their life to Christ. You've been circumcised if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Here's how, with the circumcision that's made without hands, nobody cut anything physically on your body. You were all circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Why? How? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Oh my. See, You and I and we, if we've surrendered our life to Christ, our fleshly heart is to be cut out or, you know, know, depending upon our own strength and resource is to be cut out and we're to receive the heart of the Lord. We were buried in his death, but we were raised to new life. It says it, Colossians 2. All of you need to be circumcised in the Lord. Amen. That's what it says. And so all these years, all these years, All these years they had this thing where it was a sign of the covenant that he who is eight days old, verse 12, shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money, he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. It was the sign. It wasn't the substance. It was the sign. Everybody with me. I think that's important in this day and age to understand that. And the uncircumcised male child who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. You, 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 had, to, you had to do this as a sign that you were the people of God. And you would say of yourself, your flesh has been cut away and you've been given a new heart. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai. Here it comes again, a name change. This is the theme. And let me ask you something. It went from Abram to Abraham, H. Sarai, with an I, to Sarah, H. Everybody with me? I'm trying to make a point. (laughs) This is... Listen, I'm not into numbers as special stuff, but H is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and five in the Bible is the number of grace. I want to just let that sit there for a minute. God was telling Abraham and Sarah, it's all about grace. The great, my grace shall be your name and I'll bless her and also give you a son by her. He was telling him about his wife. She's going to be not Sarah, but Sarah, the princess, not contentious, but princess. He named her princess. Why? Because she was going to produce a king or kings. Get it? And how is he going to be produced? By grace, by grace. So I'll bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I'll bless her and she'll be a mother of nations. And here it comes again. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham, here comes the second big theme. I love it. Don't you love it? We did a lot of it last night. Laughing. Joy. You read the account in Matthew there. Glory to God in the highest. There's joy everywhere throughout the pages. Of course, there's some tough things too. Herod tried to come against them, and that was tough. But there's joy in the midst of it. And here, look, there's some laughing. And apparently, this laughing didn't disturb God because he never says anything like you were laughing and scoffing. He sort of does say that, God does, about Sarah's laughing. There was something different about it, but whatever. You ever laughed At God, like not at God, but you're like, I I, I can't believe he just did this. And you laugh. Oh, there it is. And you laugh (laughs) and you laugh and you go, wow, I got to tell you this story. This is amazing. And you laugh. I think that's what was going on here. With Abraham he's like, "Wow, he's going to give me a kid." and uh, uh, Abraham fell on his face, he's worshiping and laughing, says in his heart, "Shall a child be born to a man?" Listen, he's going to give me a son who I'm hundred years old." <laughs> and he's laughing and he's joyful and he's excited about having that baby and but listen, I want you to see another thing, but he doesn't discard Ishmael. he loves Ishmael. And he said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is great, Lord. This is great. And I have an extra prayer. Can I pray for Ishmael too, Lord? Because I want him to live before your face. Wow. The love of a father. He loves his kid. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife's going to bear you a son, and you're going to call his name Isaac. Guess what Isaac means? Laughter. (laughs) Laughter. Every time he said hi to his son, he remembered how he laughed in the good way. I was amazed at what God did when he was 100 years old. And you shall call his name Isaac. I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Listen, it goes through Isaac. Some folks say the covenant goes through Ishmael. Well, God, just read your Bible. You don't have to go anywhere else. Just read. I'm going to establish my covenant for an everlasting covenant with his descendants. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he shall uh, beget 12 princes. You go, wait a minute, this is Ishmael. Well, you can read about it because God delivered. In he, uh, Genesis 25, 13 through 15, he enumerates the 12 princes from Ishmael. And I'll make him a great nation, but my covenant I'll establish with Isaac. Where was the great nation uh, that you read about in the, later in the book of Genesis? It's, look, watch. It's in Israel, and you just push it down, going towards Egypt, down in the desert areas. That's where they all moved to. Folks, we understand just by reading why there's conflict in the Middle East. It's this right here. The people of Ishmael versus the people of Isaac. So Abraham took Ishmael, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ouch. But anyway, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's learn one more thing and we'll go home. You see, here's what some of us would have been tempted to do. Lord, I, I, I get it. You're telling me to do it as a sign but come on I'm 99 years old I'm 100 years old I mean I'm getting you know gray and all that sort of thing I mean that's good for the younger kids and they should do it there in the prime but but didn't that thought didn't come to Abraham He said no here here's what I'll do I'll circumcise myself first And then I want you to notice something. He didn't say to Ishmael, hey, Ishmael, you go get circumcised. He took him and did it. And he, I I want you to see that as something that a good dad does. You don't just talk about the Lord with your kids or the people you're responsible for. You say, I don't have kids. Well, are you discipling people? Then you have kids. No, you don't just tell them, you know, you need to go to church. That's what parents do. Come here on Wednesday night. There's a lot of kids here, no parents. It's weird. I'm like, what's going on? Where are all these kids come from? Where are their parents? No offense. I just wonder. Because here's what parents are to do. Bring them with them. You don't have to come to this church. Go to another great Bible-believing church, spirit-filled church. Go there. But bring your kids. Bring them. Make it a family affair. Bring them along. When you go down and serve at the homeless ministry, take the kids with you. When you go this Christmas and deliver to somebody who's less fortunate, take the kids with you. Let them give the stuff. Take them everywhere where you're serving, where you're loving. Don't just tell them to do it. Do it with them. You be the leader there. You see, Abraham was a great dad. So he does that. He uh, does that, and then... (laughs) Like his servants and stuff. He's like, Well, guys, you got to get the sign too. You're working for me, you got to get the sign. He obeyed the Lord. And all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And here's what we do as we get ready to pray here. I want you to think about all these things. Maybe God told you something or showed you something and, uh, you've moved on from that and you keep saying, well, why don't I hear from God or, uh, why don't I ever progress in my Christian life? And I always say this, go to the last thing the Lord asked you to do and do it. You hear what I'm saying? Maybe there was something the Lord gave put on your heart four years ago or three years ago. I've been in that position. And I'll, I'll tell you, the Lord told me to start a home fellowship. And I said, Lord, I don't know anybody in Pittsburgh. I moved here from Hawaii. I don't know anybody from Pittsburgh. And then, you know what? The Lord, my dad died. One day, birthday. Bang. And I'm like, ooh. Now, I don't know that my Lord, or the Lord had my dad die, but he used that. In my life and our life to start a home Bible study, and it's the reason you're sitting in here today. Through a death. Maybe about three years, and I kept saying, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody. The Lord said, I want you to start a Bible study, and out of this tragedy, I want something good to happen. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. So uh what is it that the Lord's saying to you? Go do it. Here's another thing. I want you and us this year to get a right perspective, and every year, of who God is as he reveals himself through the word. He's El Shaddai. He's the all-powerful one with great nurturing ability. He'll deliver on his promises because he can deliver on his promises, and I want us in this place to stand on those promises. Maybe there's somebody in your life and you're saying, well, they're not a Christian and I can't get them and I'm giving up hope. The Lord says his heart is that none should perish. None. Zero. His heart is that none should perish, but that all would have eternal life. So maybe stand on that promise this year. With hope and joy. And in the areas of your life be obedient and if you're responsible for people you're discipling someone or you're a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a mom or a dad don't just tell your kids or your people to go do it but come bringing them along in your faith journey so that they will grow and honor the lord amen all right let's pray lord thank you so much for these great scriptures And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here who hasn't surrendered their life to you, Lord, that today would be that day. And I pray they would come up and uh, we could pray together and uh, walk through that together. And if there's anybody here that's discouraged or lonely or feel like God's forgotten them, that they would come up and we could pray too. Lord, I thank you. You've revealed your names, which reveal so much about you. starts here in the book of Genesis. We love you, Lord, but we know it's because you first loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody says...